I heard there was a game last night. Congratulations to the victors. Let's never speak of that again. Glad that you're here. Whether you're excited, happy. Uh, Tech, you almost, you almost gave me a good weekend, even in spite of my team losing. I would have been almost excited had you pulled that off yesterday, but um, at least you made Clemson look bad, so I'm happy with that too. Glad you're worshiping with us. Those here in person, those of you joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you weren't here last week, we started a series called Influencer. Uh, talking about how uh, we, we need influencers, and we are influencers uh, in the world, but, but we need people to look to. We need people to aspire to, to, people who encourage us, people who inspire us, sometimes people who challenge us, people who show us the way, people that we can follow, and uh, obviously social media has influencers. That's not exactly the type of influence that we're talking about. we we don't really need to influence each other in the clothes that we buy or the places that we eat. But we, we need to influence, especially in a spiritual sense, uh, our walk with the Lord and how we live that out in the world where we are. Last week, we talked about an Old Testament character by the name of Deborah. Um, and, and Deborah was an out front leader. Uh, she... Uh, went into the battle, she, she encouraged other people to join her, she inspired people to act, she, she was somebody who acted bold and, and out front. Um, th- there are people like Deborah, and, and we need them, but w- while, while some people influence uh, by their initiative, by taking initiative, by stepping out front, other people influence through their integrity. Uh, maybe you're not an out front person. Maybe you're not a rally the troops type person. Maybe you're not a, hey, look at me, just follow what I do type of person. And that's okay. That's not the only way to influence. Uh, many people influence just by their consistent, steady integrity, living out their faith consistently from day to day, from life stage to life stage, from one environment to another environment. They're, they're they're just consistent. Like you know what you're going to get. You know who they're going to be, and you can look to them. You you can ask them for input and for advice because they're just consistent. They have uh, they have integrity. They they walk with the Lord day after day. And, and certainly leaders need integrity too. It's not like there's the integrity group and then there's the not integrity influencer group. All influencers need integrity. I, I'm just saying that some people don't lead out front. They lead from the quietness of their heart. Um, there's a psalm that describes David. It, it says, David shepherded the people from the integrity of his heart. Like out of that inner place of who he was, his heart for God, his, his love of God, people were drawn to that. People were encouraged by that. Uh, when, you, when you think of leaders, and we talked about this a little bit last week but, uh, or, or a couple of weeks ago, many people, especially leaders, many people have lost influence because they lacked integrity. Maybe they had influence, maybe they rose to a certain position, but over time, it was revealed, not just they had faults, we all have faults or they made mistakes, but there was this consistent, ongoing lack of integrity that they never addressed in their life. And then once that got revealed, their influence was, was then damaged by that. Uh, we need people that 
we can just count on. We know their integrity is consistent. We, we experience in our world sort of the extremes of people, reactions and overreactions of people. And we have people really mad on this extreme. We have people really mad on this extreme. And, and, and what we need more of are just those people who walk steadily with God day in and day out, year after year, season of life after season of life. I want to study somebody like that. They're in the Old Testament too. It's a guy by the name of Daniel. You may be familiar with parts of his story. Daniel's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible if you're flipping through uh, your hard copy Bible. Uh, it's a little hard to find. comes after Ezekiel. Feel free to use the table of contents there at the beginning. Daniel's story happens in one of the big transition points for the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel has been on a steady cycle of disobeying God, and they've gotten farther and farther away from the heart of God, turning to false gods, uh, forgetting what God had asked of them, until the point that enemy countries began to attack them, Babylon being one of them. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar attacks Israel. Jehoiakim is Judah, that's the southern kingdom of Israel, is Judah's king. He's an evil king. Uh, he gets captured, taken prisoner, and, and lives as a prisoner in Babylon for years and years and years, is ultimately released. Uh, that's his own story. Second Kings 24, 25 will give you kind of historical background. Jehoiakim is taken away, but during these attacks by Babylon against the kingdom of Judah, God's people, they were also taking back... Uh, potential leaders in Babylon. So they, so they were looking across the, the kingdom of Judah and asking, okay, who can we train to be future leaders in Babylon? Th this is how Daniel chapter 1 verse 3 records it. Then the king, that's the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, he, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So there's the story. God's people are attacked. The king is imprisoned. And then they select certain young men that they want to take back and retrain into the ways of Babylon. And when, when the Bible says young men, we're talking teenagers. We're talking teenage boys, perhaps even as young as 13 and 14-year-old boys, maybe 15, 16-year-old boys. We're not talking about 20-somethings or 30-somethings. The Babylonians wanted to get these young men when they were young and impressionable and then mold their outlook into the way Babylonians saw the world and what Babylon was trying to do 
to the world. Now, I, I mentioned their ages because as we talk about integrity, it's good to remember that integrity is not an issue for the old. Integrity is an issue for all of us. Integrity is not something we try to develop someday or we think, well, when I get settled down, then I'll worry about integrity. Integrity is for you wherever you are today, uh, especially if you are young. Especially if you're a teenager, you're 20-something. You're this is not something that is out there in your future. It matters to you right now. It certainly matters to your spiritual life right now that you are a person of integrity. I, I sometimes talk to people in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are still trying to break habits that they, that they put in place when they were teenagers and, and early 20-somethings, right? Though you don't get to a point in your life where you build a bunch of bad habits and then like at 25, that just all magically disappears and you, you get a fresh start. Now, all of that goes with you. All of that decision-making, uh, all, of, all of your morality, uh, all of being true to who you are supposed to be, that carries over. And so... Regardless of how young or old you are, now is the time to wrestle with this issue of integrity and how it's going to affect you now, but more so even how it's going to affect you later. So they come round up a bunch of teenage boys, and not only were they young, but the Bible says they were the best of the best, right? They were the strongest, they were the fittest, they were the most athletic, they were the most intelligent uh, highest SATs, ACTs, GPAs, like they, they were the best of the best that Babylon then wanted to take and shape and mold. Skills are good. Ability is good. Talent is good, but skill and ability are no substitute for integrity. They're not the same. It's not good versus bad. It's not integrity is good, skills are bad. No, they're both very good and needed in our, in our life. They're just not the same. One doesn't equal the other. Being good at a skill does not equal being a person of integrity. Now, we obviously have a harder time measuring integrity because everything over here is much more measurable. We can, to some, to some degree, measure intellect. We can have you take a test and, and it will rank you on a score of how intelligent you are compared to another population of people, right? We, we can measure uh, how well you do on a project, how well you do on a certain skill. All of that is measurable. Integrity is not quite as measurable, at least not in the immediate. Often it takes years and years and years to fully measure the integrity of somebody. So what often happens is we make decisions based on skill and we don't make decisions based on integrity. What's happened in our world, you probably experienced this at some point in your life, is someone got into a position because of their skill set, but they didn't have the integrity to really manage that position. 
They, they didn't have an integrity that would allow them to sustain that level of leadership or that level of responsibility. Skills and integrity, they aren't the same. Both are good. Both are needed. They're just not the same. And very often we can undermine our potential because of our skills, intellect, and ability. We can undermine that potential because we don't at the same time develop our integrity, our heart who we really are. Here's Daniel. Skilled, intelligent, strong, athletic, physically without defect. They're in a new and strange environment, which is another key when it comes to integrity because new environments and certainly transitions tend to be times that expose our integrity. When we're in a new place, when nobody knows us, when we really don't answer to anyone, those periods of transition expose what we really believe and who we really are. So you move from high school to college. And if you remember those years, some of you still have those years to look forward to. If you remember those years, you learned some things about who you were. You, you learned about what you really believe and what you're really committed to. When you, when you move from being single to being married, like that's a new transition. It's a whole new environment. You learn some things about who you are. You learn some things about the person you married that you didn't know about when you dated that person, right? Those new seasons, they teach us new things about ourselves. You get that first job. You're... You're making real money, right? Or you think you're making real money. Seems like real money based on what you've been making. It reveals things about who we are. Transitions, new environments, especially uh, if we go to the other side, uh, not college or marriage or or new job, but if, if you go through a discouraging season. When the environment is not what you thought it was going to be. That's really where Daniel is. Right? He, he has been kidnapped. Taken to a totally new country with new cultures. This is not how he saw his life playing out. When you and I go through discouragements. That's another transition that highlights who we really are on the inside. How are we going to respond to this? What do we really believe now? What do we believe about God now? All of those things tend to surface in the new seasons of life. Here's what we see from Daniel's story. Daniel's in a new place, but he's the same person in the new place. He's in a new place. He's in a new season. He's in a new environment. There's potential to this season, but there's also discouragement to this season. There's frustration, there's sad, there's grief over what he's been taken from. All of that is wrapped up in this new place that Daniel finds himself. But the whole book of Daniel reinforces this idea that he, he stays the same person in all of those places. Um, the potential for Daniel to be led away from who he was was that the Babylonians, as I mentioned, wanted to change who Daniel was. They wanted to reshape who he was. They they wanted to make him into somebody new. The goal was not just to get Daniel to Babylon, but they wanted to get Babylon into Daniel. 
the way they saw things, the way they viewed things. They wanted to press that into Daniel. Now, you and I live in environments that want to change us, that want to dictate who we're going to be, dictate how we see the world, what we think about right and wrong, how we live our life. Daniel is an example that says you can live in that sort of environment and be the same. Your heart doesn't have to be impacted by that. Your morality doesn't have to be impacted by that. Your faith doesn't have to be impacted by that. What's the saying? All the, all the water in the ocean can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. Right? We, we live in an ocean of culture and views and world that's very much different from, from what we profess to believe. But it's possible to live in that world and it not fill up our lives. Yes, those people that we choose to be around the most, they have influence on us. They have impact on us. Potentially negative environments that we consistently go back to. Yes, those have the potential to negatively influence us. But Daniel is an example that says you can live in a world that's even hostile to your faith and you can be the same. A couple of the, couple of the ways that um, they wanted to retrain Daniel. They gave him a new name. Right? We read that. Gave him a new name. Daniel's name reflects his God, Yahweh. Uh, the other names that they mentioned. They were all reflections of the Jew Jewish God, Yahweh. The Babylonians changed their name to names that represented Babylonian gods. Why? Because he wanted to change who they were. They put them in a three-year, we might call it retraining program. Wanted them to learn Babylonian language, Babylonian culture, the way uh, Babylon, uh, Babylonians viewed the world. They wanted to remove Daniel and replace who he was with who they wanted him to be. We face the same temptation, right? We, we live in a, a culture that, that questions much of what we believe and think and desires to replace what you believe and think about God with something else. Now, the question is, are you going to be the same person? In that environment, are you going to stay the same on the inside? Daniel decided that he would stay the same. And one of the reasons I think he made this decision is Daniel seemed to have this viewpoint. God, even in these difficult environments, God has not lost sight of us. So why should we lose sight of who God's called us to be? Yes, the world is not the way I want it to be or you want it to be. We're, we live in cultures that aren't maybe what we would design. But even in that environment, God has not lost sight of us. Why should we abandon the people that God has called us to be? Daniel's in a place where nobody knows him. Nobody's there to hold him accountable. But he knew that God saw. He knew that God was there. And even when everything else had changed around him, who he was had not changed. Verse 8 tells us this. But Daniel, in this environment, in, in this transition, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, 
And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. But Daniel resolved. He resolved. He's in a threatening environment to his faith. Daniel just makes up his mind. Some translations say he purposed in his heart. There are a lot of things that may change for Daniel in this season. But he resolved he would not change. He would be the same person. See, Daniel decided who he was going to be. And then that dictated what he was going to do. This is who I am This is what I believe. This is who I'm in relationship with. This is the God that I serve. This is who I am. And therefore, the decisions that I'm going to make, the way I'm going to live, who I'm going to be in this environment is going to be determined by who I already am in my relationship to God. And and, and in this world, we constantly need to remind ourselves who we are. Who we are in Christ, in relationship to God. And then let that dictate what we do and what we think and how we behave. Our our what, what we do, flows out of our who, who we are in Christ. Because that who doesn't have to change even though the environment around us will constantly change. There's two Two interesting aspects, I think, of Daniel's response in this moment. He's resolved. He's decided who he's going to be. But, th- but there's two interesting aspects to his response. And, and the first aspect is this. Daniel didn't fight every battle in chapter 1. Now, as we're reading through it, D- Daniel did not become antagonistic to every issue that, that may have violated what he believed. Um, for example, I mentioned they changed his name. His name was a reflection of his God. They changed his name to a Babylonian name that was a reflection of Babylonian gods. And as far as we know in chapter 1, Daniel didn't protest that. Daniel didn't make an issue out of that. Daniel, I, I'm supposing, uh, felt... You can call me whatever you want to call me. I know who I am. doesn't matter what you call me. That doesn't define who I, I am. I know who I am. And so call me whatever you want to call me, even if it's a reflection of your false God. I know who I am in this environment. Daniel doesn't march on the palace. Daniel doesn't yell at anybody. Daniel chooses his battles. Three years of retraining re-education, and as far as we know in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel never protested that. Daniel went to class. Daniel took notes. Daniel passed all the tests and must have thought, there's some good things to learn from the Babylonians. They're not wrong about everything. I'll I'll learn what I can learn, but I know what I believe. And just because they're teaching it to me, I don't have to accept everything. Nor does Daniel feel like he has to protest everything. Daniel doesn't fight every battle that he could have fought in chapter 1. Maybe he doesn't even fight every battle that some of us think he should have fought. Daniel fights one battle out of the battles that he met in Daniel chapter 1. Jeremiah writes to Babylonian captives. So 
Jewish people who have been taken captive into Babylon, Jeremiah writes to them and he gives them instructions for how to live in this foreign country, how to live in Babylon. And and here's some of Jeremiah's uh, encouragement, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. What do we do when we're in a foreign land, a hostile land, a land that rejects everything that we believe? The prophet Jeremiah said, live your life. Live your life. Get a job. Build a house. Settle down. Pray for the peace of that place where you're in. Pray for their prosperity because if that place is at peace and if they're prospering, that's going to be good for your life. Jeremiah does not say, protest every chance you get. Be antagonistic every chance you get. March on the palace every chance you get. He said, just live your life for the Lord. And and let that flow out to the city where you are. Whether the city agrees with everything you believe or not, just live your life for the Lord. And apparently Daniel internalized this message because that was Daniel's approach. Daniel's approach was like, I don't have to fight every battle. I don't have to address everything I disagree with. I don't have to make a big deal out of every problem that I see in the culture where I'm living. And as Christians, we have to learn that. We, I I, I don't know, I don't know what you think about where we live, but we live in Babylon. And in Babylon, the Babylonians act like Babylonians. That's what Daniel knew. That's what Jeremiah knew. Babylon is not Israel. It's not ever going to be Israel. Babylon is not where God's people are. It's just not going to be that. Babylon is where the Babylonians are, and they act like Babylonians. In living out our faith with integrity... We have to remember, we don't belong here. Like, this isn't our world. We are foreigners. We are refugees. Right? We're passing through. We're, we're trying to get to another place right now. We're immigrants in this world. It's not ours. It's not our home. It's not ever going to be our home. We're not settling down here. We're passing through here. And as we pass through, the people who live here are going to act like people who live here. That doesn't mean we don't have a heart for them. We don't care about them. Certainly we do. But the way that we care about them is we live out our faith consistently and with integrity in a world that isn't God's. This is Babylon. God is bringing us to a new eternal city. And yes, while we're here, We are to bring the kingdom of God with us, 
But we aren't here to take over. We are here to consistently live out our faith. One of the... um, One of the challenges with feeling like we have to fight every battle is then we begin to see every issue as us versus them. And I'm on this side and they're on that side and that makes them the enemy and we're the good people. And so we have this antagonistic approach when we try to fight every single battle in a foreign land that is not ours to begin with. Second aspect of his reaction. Daniel's response is always calm and measured. When he does respond, when he does speak into an issue, he doesn't lose his mind. Right? He is in control of himself. He is not angry. He is not yelling. That integrity of heart causes him to be calm and steady and measured. And, and there are times when you and I, like Daniel, we're going to feel compelled to speak into issues of this world. We're going to feel called to speak up for, for what we believe and, and what our convictions are. Daniel's example is, yes, there are times to do that. But be measured. Be in control of yourself. Don't forget to be full of grace. Don't forget to be winsome. When it is time to speak into an issue. We read that that the issue, and we'll talk a little bit about why this was the issue. But the issue was what they had been given to eat. That was the one. It wasn't the name. It wasn't the re-education process. It It was the food that was the issue. And how did Daniel respond? He didn't... He didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't raise a protest. He, he went to the chief official and said, could we just get vegetables and water because we're not supposed to eat the other things that you're serving us? And it, it, God had caused the chief official to be favorable to Daniel, the Bible says. So, so this guy liked Daniel. He, he liked Daniel and the other guys from, from Judah But he was afraid for his job and afraid for his life. So he says, I I can't. What if the king finds out and then I'm going to be in trouble? And Daniel understands. Daniel says, okay, I understand that. So he goes to the guard who's below the chief official who directly delivers the food to them and says, look, can we do this? Can we do 10 days of vegetables and water? Can we just have 10 days? We're going to be in this program for three years. What's 10 days really? Just give us 10 days. And then at the end of the 10 days, you decide if we look as strong as everybody else. Now, Daniel's approach was intelligent. It was measured. It was thought through. It wasn't reactionary. He just said, can we talk? Let me tell you how I see this. Can we try this? Here's a plan. Would you be willing to try this plan? In, in our engagement with the Babylon around us, we need to be calm and measured and steady. And our heart needs to be to hopefully win them to a perspective that honors God. 
Our heart is not to defeat them. Our heart is not to embarrass them. Our heart is to win them in our engagement with them. So the question then is, why was that the issue? Of all of the issues we find in Daniel chapter 1, why was the food the issue? And it's a little bit difficult for us to put ourselves in Daniel's situation because the rules of the Old Testament, some of them changed in the New Testament. And dietary laws was one of them. Jesus comes along, Peter comes along over in the New Testament. And, and we're basically told, okay, those are no longer a part of ceremonial worship anymore. It's a long discussion. Just trust me on that one. The dietary laws that were so important in the Old Testament... And, and the reason they were important is because if you broke the dietary laws, you were considered unclean. You were considered unholy. So you could not participate in worship. You could not participate in the religious rituals that were so meaningful to you. The way you honored God was going to be interrupted. You were going to be cut off in that sense while you were unclean because you had eaten something you were not supposed to. To eat. So that's why Daniel draws the line there. Right? Call me whatever you want to call me. Don't care what name you give me. Uh, put me in whatever school you want to put me in. I'll go through whatever institute you want me to go through. I know what I believe. I'm confident in that. I'm fine going through that. But don't ask me to do something that's going to violate my relationship with God. My ability to worship God. My ability to be close to God. That was the moment Daniel said, all right, I've got to speak up here. And in and, and, and our world, and, and I'm sure this is a, a, a long discussion, and we all may land in different places, but when it comes to influencing our world through our integrity, you and I have to figure out where that line is, because everything can't be the line and we still have influence with the people around us. Everything can't be hostile and antagonistic. And we still have influence for the kingdom with the people around us. Now one of the reasons I think Daniel could live with such integrity in a foreign land. Is because he knew God was in control. Like, even though Daniel's in a foreign place, Daniel knows God's still in control. So I'm going to be who he's called me to be and I'm going to let him work out all the consequences of that. Because he's still at work. He's still in control. I don't have to try to manipulate the consequences. God is here. God is in control. I'm going to live out what he's told me. And I'll leave the consequences to him. Sometimes we violate our integrity. We try to take shortcuts. We try to go around what we know is true. Because we're not sure God's going to be able to handle our situation. Like our, our faith is not that yes, God is capable of managing this situation without me having to take control. He is in control. And I think the opposite of that is true as well. A lack of integrity is a sign I don't trust God. Like I don't trust that God is going to honor his word. I don't trust that God is going to honor who he's told me to be and how he's told me to live. A lack of integrity is a sign I don't trust God. Now, just a couple more things. We have to remember when it comes to integrity... Integrity doesn't eliminate struggles. 
it just guides us through struggles. It doesn't eliminate struggles. And, and I want that to be true. I want to be able to say, I did the right thing, therefore it worked out. Right? But life's not always that way, is it? I mean, it is in the story of Daniel. It worked out. It doesn't always work out in our lives. Sometimes you do the right thing and you get fired, right? That's happened. Sometimes you do the right thing and you're left out. But we do the right thing. We live a life of integrity, not because of its results, but because it's the right thing. Because it's who God has called us to be. And he is in control. And therefore I'm going to leave the results to him. I mean Daniel is in Babylon after all. That doesn't change. Daniel is a captive in Babylon after all. That doesn't change because of his integrity. Three of his friends get thrown in a fiery furnace two chapters later. Right? There's still struggle. There's still battles. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den in chapter 6. Right? There's, there's still struggles. Integrity is not like a get out of jail free card. It's, it's not a every, life will work out for you if you live with integrity. Yes, there are consequences of bad decisions that we may avoid when we live with integrity. But it's not some sort of foolproof secret to life. It's not the secret code. That lets you level up in the video game of life and never have any more problems in your life. That's not what integrity is. In- integrity is how God has called us to live. And we live with integrity because of that. Not just because of what it might do in our lives. Last thing. From Daniel. We learned that we aren't called to turn our culture Christian but to live out our Christianity in our culture. The calling of Daniel was not to make Babylon like Judah. That just wasn't going to happen. The calling of Daniel was not to turn Babylon into Israel. Wasn't going to happen. The calling on Daniel's life was live out who you are in Babylon and see what God might do. Live out what God has told you, the person he's called you to be. Just live that out in your current environment and see who that might influence. Which is very different from approaching it from the standpoint of it's our job to make our whole country Christian. Or to make our whole world Christian. Or to make our whole city Christian. Again, that presents very much an us versus them sort of mentality. We're on this side and they're on that side. We got to go get them. And that wasn't Daniel's approach at all. Daniel's approach was, I know what God has said to me. I know who he's called me to be. I'm not going to waver from that. I'm going to live for him and allow God to use my integrity to influence the people that God wants me to influence. Because if, we, if we'll do that, if we will live consistently, faithfully, with the integrity that God calls us to, with the holiness, the commitment to God that he calls us to, you will influence people. There will be people who take notice. There will be people who see what's true about your life. 
And you may influence your family. You may influence your workplace. You may influence your city. You, you may have influence in our country. But it won't be because you're determined to make Babylon into Israel. It'll be because you're determined to live out your faith consistently. Measured with grace and winsomeness. And the calling of God on your life. God, I pray that you would help us to be Daniels living in Babylon. Uh, we live in a world that is not ours. We, we live in a world that does not move in the stream of our faith by and large. We are foreigners. We are immig immigrants, we are refugees, we are moving towards our ultimate home one day. But while we're here, while we're here, if we will live faithfully, consistently, with integrity, we will influence people along the way. We will show them the love and grace of Jesus, how you change lives how you are with us in struggle. Help us to be those people who just live out our Christianity in the culture where we are. I pray it in Christ's name.